Hope you, hope you cross the finish line. Reducing the Christian experience to a life of acquisition, of, of just trying to acquire all the love and the wisdom and the power and the fruit and the armor and the holy things we could get along life's journey. I don't think he did that. In other words, Christianity is not a something. Christianity is a someone. Christianity is Christ. So when God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. Look at this quote. Watchman Nee. One of my favorite books was, he's written many, and I have a lot of them. I have not, I've not read all of them, but the one that I really connected with was called Christ, the Sum of All Spiritual Things. If you could get a book, and you're not much of a reader, but you'll say, I'll tackle three books this year, I would say if you had that one on your short list, you would do yourself a huge favor. Christ, the sum of all spiritual things. In, in this book, he notes that the bread of life is a thing. So too is the light, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, or the lamb. But in Christianity, there are no things, only Christ. This is the whole of the matter. What we need to comprehend before God is that our experience, there is neither thing nor affair, but only Christ. Not that he gives us light, but that he is our light. Not that he leads the way, but that he is the way. Not that he gives us life, but that he is our life. Not that he teaches the truth, but that he is the truth. Brethren, sistren, do you grasp the difference here? Whatever Christ gives is his very own self. He doesn't give us something. He gives us someone. And that someone is Jesus. So I'm going to highlight six to seven different categories where you might not have connected the dots where Christ is that object of that particular category. The centrality of Jesus. But number one, I want to look at Christ in the scriptures. So Jesus is the living word found throughout all the pages of the written word. And the Bible, incidentally, is not... It can be a study of anthropology, but it's not. It can be a study of uh, narratives, like the kids are going to be looking at who, who David is. Now, that's important to know, but if you only knew who David was and you didn't know who the God David had his faith in, then that's an issue. So the Bible's not man-centric. In other words, it's not a study of anthropology where man is the central figure. The Bible is a study of theology. It's a study of, of God himself. It's his revelation to share to us who he wants us to know who he is. So the Bible is a revelation of God himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 puts it this way. God, who at many times, uh, in many ways in the past, spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. You might even say burning bushes, donkeys, clouds, a lot of different ways God spoke. But he has in these last days spoken unto us by his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made all the worlds, whom being the bright, uh, being the, the shining splendor of his glory and the express image of his essence, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Through himself cleansing us of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. In this passage, too, where it says that he's the express image, the word image in the Greek there is character. They spell it with a, when they transliterate it from the Greek to the English, they use a K, but we would spell it C-H-A-R-C-T-E-R. -E it's interesting, right? Character, character. If you want to know who God is like, Jesus is the character, the image of God. You'd say, well, you know, you got a good cop, bad cop thing going on where, where Jesus was the friend of the prostitutes and the drunkards and the, you know, the sinners and the, the cultural off-scouring and rejects, but, you know, God, God is kind of like, he's always angry and he's disappointed in a bad mood and Jesus is just really loving and kind and he has the children sit on his lap and he's, he's of the people and God's just kind of aloof and distant and and just kind of with his, he's just never pleased with your performance and his arms are crossed. If, if that's the kind of view you have of God, that's a very common one, but it's not an accurate one because 
Jesus is the character of God. If someone were to say, show me your heart, you would really get to know that person. And Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when God spoke from his heart, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus is the translation of God, the heart of God. Look at this quote. The Bible is God's character in print, whereas the Lord Jesus is God's character in person. How do you drop a lapel mic? That's not my quote. That is a powerful quote. The Bible is God's character in print, whereas the Lord Jesus is God's character in person. He's the express image of his being. He used to speak in different ways and different manners, but now he speaks Jesus. You want to know the heart of God? The heart of the matter is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the central figure of all of it. So just as science, go to the next slide if you would, just as science once thought the sun revolved around the earth and um, it was geocentric, sometimes it's easy to forget that the scriptures themselves revolve around the sun, but not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. Not a heliocentric um, view, but a Christ-centric view. It, that, was a, that was a huge thing. The Catholic Church claimed to be infallible, and they thought that the, the sun and everything revolved around the earth. They, geocentric, you know, like we say geopolitical or uh, geo this or geo that or geo metro. Remember those? 50 miles a gallon back in the day. Uh, <laughs> um, but they, the, the Catholic Church thought, because the word Catholic means universal. I'm not dissing the Catholics. I'm just, it's just an etymology here. Catholic, universal, pope, vicar, head of the church, universal church, leader, head. Everything revolves around the earth. I'm the center of the one true church, so everything revolves around me. And then science came along and said, well, actually, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. We, the sun is the center, um, and the, the, it's, it's a heliocentric way that, because of gravitation and all that, thanks to you know, Galileo and all the, all the smart Christian scientists uh, back in the day. But that was heresy to challenge the, um, what do they call that? In, what's it, in infallibility or whatever, they thought they were infallible. You know, no, this is, this is thus sayeth the church, and so you can't challenge that authority, even though science proved otherwise. And my point is not to, to make, you know, a, a big science uh, point, but to make the point that all the scriptures don't revolve around us. Man is not the central theme of the Bible. Jesus is. The Bible revolves around, in the written word, it's all about the revelation of the living word, the word who was with God, the word who became flesh and dwelt amongst us, the word that came from the heart of God so that we might know the heart of the matter, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the central theme of the scriptures. Go to the next slide and turn with me, if you would, to Luke. Chapter 24, Jesus rose from the dead, and he's taken this walk, and there's some people that are doubting whether, whether or not this whole thing was legit or not. And as they're walking and having their conversations and, and um, you know, their disputations, Jesus joins himself to them in verse 17, and he said unto them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened here these days? And he said unto them, What things? So they said unto him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who uh, was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was uh, he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 
Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early were astonished. When they, had, when they said they did not find his body, they came saying uh, that they seen in a vision angels, that he said he was alive. And certain of those who were uh, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He wasn't there. Then said he unto them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart. <laughs> You're so, oh, bless your heart. But that's a southern thing. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, slow of heart. Could you imagine? You're like, you're just a little slow of heart there. Um, but he, Jesus says, oh, slow of heart. You, you, it's, you, have not, you haven't got what the prophet said. Did you not believe in all that the prophets had spoken? Verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses, that would be the law, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and beginning at Moses and the prophets, that makes up the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Then he went to the prophets, that would include the Psalms and the books of wisdom. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's like Brian, um, who's an author, right? When you go and you... You sit at, at the cool bookstores. I've seen pictures you're sitting in with the same hat, that same beard and the same glasses. I'm glad it's you. And he's there at his book table. He's like, people, come here. And he's like, I wrote this. I wrote this, which is it's a huge accomplishment. And, and kudos to you, man. It's so awesome. But Brian wrote the book, right? And it's like Jesus is showing up. He's the author. It's, it's like he's explaining his autobiography to them when he opens up Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. You think, even, we think, even, say for example, um, what's, what book? Jonah. In the book of Jonah, you think, you think that book is about Jonah. God is mentioned three more times than Jonah than Jonah is. It's not about Jonah, it's about the God who wanted to deliver people whom God was sending Jonah to minister unto, the Ninevites. But that's, that's just one case in point. But if we change the way we approach the Bible, our angle of approach, and we become more Christ-centric in the Scriptures rather than more me-centric, it will change the way that we'll relate uh, to the Word of God and the God of the Word. You know, in John chapter 5 and verse 39... Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. If you're still in Luke chapter 24, he makes this same claim to the disciples. And in Luke uh, chapter 24, starting in verse 38, and he said unto them, why are you guys troubled? And why, do you, why does doubt arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. This is in Jesus' glorified body. When he had said this, uh, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for the joy and the marvel, he said to them, um, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Broiled fish, that's cool. And a honeycomb, like you don't have honeycomb with your fish. And he took it and he ate with them in their presence. And verse 44, then he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened to their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. But he opened up the scriptures again, just like he did to the, these people on the, on, the, on the road, the Emmaus Road. Just like those people, he opened them up and he expounded and he said, all these things were written concerning me. Now he's with the apostles and the disciples and he does the same thing and he said, let me give you a Bible study. I'll not only be the teacher, but I am the teaching in the scriptures. It reminds me of the, the transfiguration. I don't think I have a slide for this, um, but you could go to the next slide and I'll just kind of talk as we go. But it's in Matthew, was it 17 or 19? I think Matthew 17, and it's in the other Gospels as well. 
But we'll know where he takes, um, he takes a couple of the apostles up, Peter, James, and John, three of them, and he goes to the top uh, of the, uh, where the Mount Transfiguration is, Mount Hermon, actually. Um, and when he goes up there, the lights come on. Not, not stage lights, as if, as if Jesus had a roadie that, you know, that was a stage crew following him, but the light came from within, and he wanted to show them who he really was. And then when the lights come on, um, and they realize that Jesus, it's not a thing called light, Jesus is that thing. He is the light. And then um, Elijah and then the Moses show up. And then everyone gets all distracted about the incorrect theology of Peter because he wants to build some tabernacles and hang out there. And, the, and everyone gets sidetracked on that. And Jesus doesn't really rebuke him over that. Because what happens is when Jesus shows the light, they fall down and they worship. And when they, when they open their eyes, they saw Jesus only. And what my takeaway from that is that Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. But all of the, all of the law and the prophets were pointing to Jesus. So it was Jesus only. Jesus only. Because a lot of times I feel like we could get really lost in the woods or in the weeds, so to speak, and miss Jesus, even though the whole book is about him. We could miss the author. <laughs> who is like coming to earth and, and doing like a book signing thing. And he does that every time you read the scripture. He is the author and the finisher of your faith and mine, but of the Bible as well. So, next point I want to look at is Christ in grace. Christ in grace. We don't owe God anything. Grace can never be repaid. It has no price, not because it is worthless, but because it is priceless, matchless, limitless. It is the life of Christ himself. Grace is not something we have received. Grace has, is someone who we have received. Grace, in other words, grace showed up 2,000 years ago, brought salvation to all people, died and rose again to offer the free gift of grace to any and all that would receive it. So we're not receiving the plan of salvation that says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and wages of sin is death and whosoever is a common the Lord. Not the Romans road plan of salvation that's, you know, with frosting called grace. When we receive Jesus, we receive the person of salvation and he is the grace. For example, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Go to the next slide where it's Titus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who brought salvation? Remember Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Who was peace on earth? Who was the peace? Same with grace. Grace showed up in the person of Jesus, brought salvation, and teaches... It teaches us to how to live, deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live discreetly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now, with this grace, we look for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Grace is a person. My friend Frank Friedman, that's his email address, frankfriedman at graceisaperson.com or something like that. So the next thing I want to look at is Christ in the fruit. Christ in fruit. You have heard it said, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If not, this is going to be, this is going to be a good lesson for you. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Heard that, right? But divine understanding is knowing that the fruit of the Spirit is a who, not a what. Look at this, look at this fill-in-the-blank question I'm going to do rhetorically. You know, you know this from Matthew, where Jesus said, you will know them by their... I think it's very insightful that Jesus did not say you'll know them by their works. And the reason why I don't think the Bible put you'll know them by their works is because there's a lot of cults and religions that do a lot of good works that make the Christians 
works look not so good. <laughs> you know, like when we, when we started a church in the, the Mormon epicenter of the entire world, there's a lot of good working people, good hard working people that was surrounding us. And I'm like, I'm just gonna have to up my game, you know, except I'm gonna drink coffee. <laughs> I've got the energy of the Holy Spirit and the energy of coffee, which you can't have. Um, but the reason why God doesn't say you'll know them by their works is because, you know, we could always imitate the works. You know what you can't imitate? The fruit. You can't imitate the fruit. If you do, it's like going to one of those model homes that my parents used to take me to, and then they had the fake fruit, you know, all the staged decoration and the furniture, and you would always, it was like, oh, you could totally eat that, and you couldn't. Just like that's a, I, when I clipped that picture off the interwebs, this, this, I just typed in plastic fake fruit. It looks real, right? Even my cousin, remember that she made that tangerine um, out of, she, she does really good artistry with uh, porcelain, and it looked real. It really looked real. But you, you might imitate fruit in the plastic sense of the word, but you can't, you could never, you can't produce it. It's not something that you could manufacture like you would in a factory. Fruit is something that's organic. Fruit is something natural. And so that's why Jesus says, you'll know real Christians by the fruit. What's the fruit? Look at this next slide. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, notice it's singular. It's not fruits, plural. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, might say patience, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So let's ask the question, who is love? Remember 1 John chapter 4 answers that. For God is love. For God is love. And if you believe the scriptures, you know Jesus is God. So who is love? Who is joy? Who is the Prince of Peace? Who is patient? Who is kindness? Who alone is good? Remember, Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So if you're calling me good, you must be calling me God. So the fruit is something that you can't, there's no faking this. You'll know them by their fruit. Now, do all Christians walk in the Spirit and exemplify the fruit of the Spirit? No. No, we don't pull it off. But we have the resource to do it if you wanted to. And I, I, you've heard me say this before, but I, I think of like the pressures of life and the pressures of this world and and just all the things that come at us, you know, if, it, if, if you were an orange and you were to be squeezed, orange juice would come out of you. And sometimes I don't think we really realize how loaded up we are with the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes when you're squeezed, the Jesus juice will come out of you. The love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness, the meekness, the faith, the temperance. All of that stuff that's already there is in you. You've been given, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1, 3. Mark it down. That's a great verse. Because you have everything and lack nothing simply because you've received the source, the batteries included, to pull it off. I don't always access what I have, but I have everything to access because I'm related to Jesus. He is the fruit we just need to live from that, that life source. So only Christ is the 100% organic, no additives, no preservatives, the authentic, non-genetically modified or altered fruit that we have in our hearts. He's the real deal. Everything else is just a, it's an imitation. It's not, you ever, you ever eat a candy or buy some juice and it says, oh, and by the way, 10% juice, real, real juice included. <laughs> I just thought of that. You're like, what? It's, I thought it was cranberry juice. They're like, no, it's not. It's colored water with a lot of sugar, and we've added 
10% maybe of what is juice. But with Jesus, you get all of the, the no, no GMOs, all organic, 100% fruit of the Spirit. And the world tries to, to imitate that by their good works. So we're so loving, we're so kind. And a lot of times they make us not look so good, I'll be honest, right? But when we live from Jesus, that's unconditional love. What does that look like? That looks like loving an enemy. That looks like blessing those that persecute you. That looks like someone is laying in a ditch, but you're busy and you stop to help them, like a good Samaritan. That looks like forgiveness. That looks like being patient with people that are hard to be patient with. Uh, that looks like being loving towards people that are hard to love. Um, you know, it looks like the life of Jesus living through the life of the Christian. Because look, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You know I was setting you up. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. You can't live the Christian life. Jesus is the Christian's life. So when you choose to walk in the Spirit, that's the life of Jesus energizing the life of the Christian to look like Jesus to a world. Let's look at this next one. Christ in armor. I used to be so superstitious about this. My wife and I were just talking about like little things you think of when you're kids. I don't want to scare any little kids in here, but I used to think there was werewolves. Only, only in my grandparents' house, um, and, the, and they lived under the daybed, and they only came, they only woke up when the lights turned off, and I'd wear this onesies thing, you know, where the feet were white plastic, and the rest was like yellow, and it zipped up, and so weird. But I didn't like it because there wasn't a lot of good traction, and they had tile. And so, because I thought if I ran, I'd have to jump and then land on the bed because if my foot was just really just like straight down from the bed or you just sat off the bed, they would just pull you under. But I had to really gauge it because I didn't want to slip. And then if you slipped and then slid under the bed, you would be, <laughs> it's all over, man. So what I'm getting at is, I made that up in my mind. That was just a weird, superstitious thing that I made up as a little kid. Well, as a big kid, as an adult, I was a little superstitious also. I would think things like, man, I gotta put on the armor, I gotta put on the pieces of the armor of God. Thinking if I, got to, if I forgot to put on the helmet of salvation that day, my, my whole eternal life is in jeopardy. Or if I left the shield of faith in the garage that day because I was just too busy, I had to go to work. Just left the shield of faith in the garage. You know, then I'm going to be without faith <laughs> that whole day. I don't know if you were like that at all. Um, you're like, you were such a dumb little kid. And you think that as an adult also? Well, bear with me a little bit. Just as the fruit are not things and items or categories for us to acquire on our pilgrimage to the Christian farmer's market to get more, neither is the armor of God. We don't put on pieces of the armor, we put on the person who is the armor of God. For example, in Romans, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh fulfill the lust thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he is the armor. He, he, the armor is not pieces, it's a person. Look, when Jesus, look, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So Jesus is your son, he's your shield, he's your sword, he's your salvation. He's all of the stuff. You could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with sin and temptation and discouragement and depression and anxiety and all the stuff that comes at us and maybe pick up some tricks along the way and kind of have a little bit of a good record. Maybe you're like 50 wins and 40 losses. But when you apply the life of Jesus to the situation, he was tempted in all points, victorious. We're more than conquerors, more than victor victorious. Through Jesus Christ, when Jesus stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with your enemy, 
He wins every single time. He has, he's the undisputed, undefeated champion. And we have that resource in us. You have the weapon of mass destruction who spoke the world in and speaks the world out. He I'm, I'm really fascinated with quantum physics and quantum uh, mechanics, which is the same thing, by the way. I didn't know that, but it is. He's in, he, by him, all things consist. There's matter in this room that you can't see because it's on the quantum level. If you had an electron microscope, you could see that it's all connected. And they'd say, well, it's energy, and it appears and disappears. They don't understand. The more they know, the more they realize how much they don't really know at all, which I'm like, well, cool. But I was tripping out on, even last night on... Um, the James Webb Telescope, and I've always kind of see, well, what have they discovered? And every time I turn it on, it's something new. There's a lot of clickbait ones, you know, about aliens and stuff like that. But um, what they are finding out with legit scientists, they're saying is like, we were all wrong with the Big Bang. This is the secret. They're like, it didn't really happen, you know, as we thought, because of the technology of the, the infrared and the way they measure lights. They're like, wait, how could there be things older than the Big Bang. If everything came from the Big Bang, how are, thing, how are the things that we're seeing predate that? That doesn't make any sense. You see the quandary? So they're going to have to reformulate their whole theory. But here Christians have been like in the beginning God the whole time. We're just like, whoa, wait, glad you could catch up. Join us in the hot tub. <laughs> Dress modestly. Um, and if you're joining us in the hot tub, put on your armor. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3. The God of my rock, in, the God of my rock, in whom I trust, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. He's my savior. You saved me from violence. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I think it's in um, Genesis where Abraham, he says, the Lord is my my inheritance and my exceeding great reward. So, in other words, like he, he, God is the armor. Jesus is the armor. So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 6, the go-to. Finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And they're always coming at you. Therefore, stand having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, take the shield of faith, um, which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the, of the enemy, the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Go to the next slide, if you would. So we don't put on the pieces, we put on the person who makes up the pieces. Who's the word of God? Jesus. Who's our savior? Jesus. Who's our faith? Jesus. Who's the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus. Who's the gospel? Of, who is peace? Jesus. Who's the good news? Jesus. Who's the one that answers prayer? Jesus. All the, every item that you put on describes the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not convinced. Okay, let's go on. Talk about Christ in heaven. Go to the next slide. Christ in heaven. So I, I think I put this quote up there, Ronald Reagan. Socialism only works in heaven where they don't need it and in hell where they already have it. Pretty clever. Of course, I'm being a little silly. Sometimes, you know, people include heaven with jokes by a priest and a something, you know, they walk up to the pearly gates. So sometimes it's humorous, but when you really think about heaven, it's an awesome thought to think about. And it is a place, but it's more than just a fantastical, all-inclusive sandals resort in the sky that we're one day going to go to. Right? Hell is a real place, and heaven's a real place, but heaven would not be heaven if Jesus were not there. Adam once told me, yeah, you, Adam, in the back. I, put this next slide up. The club, that's not him, this is a stock photo. The clubhouse is not the club, the kids are the club. Adam Packard. 
Right? Just like the church is not the building, but it's the believers. Well, heaven is the same way. Heaven is not about the place. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, Jesus said, but my word will remain. The word, the word will remain. Heaven and earth pass away. The word. So heaven is not heaven if Jesus were not there. Just as going to Europe on our honeymoon 24 years ago, my wife and I, and you've heard me use this as an illustration, it's not about the place, it's about the person. So if she were to go, and then this is before picture phones, if she were to go and send me a postcard about all the great stuff that she's doing over there when we're first married, right? It's not about the place, it's about the person. You can't have a honeymoon without your honey. And you can't have heaven without Jesus. Why would you want to go to heaven if Jesus were not even there? Why would you want to go on a honeymoon if your husband or wife is not going to be there? Is it just about the place? Because I think a lot of times people make heaven just earth on steroids. You know, it's just a little bit better. The buffet is going to be sweet. It's all good up there, and it's free. But what's it all about? If it's, is it just about the place and what we get? Or is it about the person and who we get to be with? Look at Paul's attitude concerning this topic. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not saying I'm living for Jesus. He's saying living is Jesus. It's a big difference. But he said, you know, I'm about ready to get my head chopped off. You know, I'm always in prison, and I think this might be the last of it. This wasn't his final um, uh, destiny, by the way. He was able to continue the ministry on. But he thought, like, this is it for sure. Um, I want to live, but I also know that it's much better to not go to heaven which is what we would say. You know how many funerals I've done and been at, and you too as well? And it's all about the place and that, you know, they're going to be in a better place. They're going to be in a better place. And this is true. I'm not, for those of you, I've lost loved ones. You've lost loved ones. We've all lost loved ones. And the place is real, and those are comforting thoughts, but this is an upgraded thought. It's much better to be with the person of heaven, which is Jesus, because he created it. It's, he's, the, he's the one. That's the goal. He's eternal life. So, 1 Thessalonians, the rapture chapter, chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the next verse, it's not up there, and comfort you one another with these words. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He doesn't say, and then we'll be in heaven forever. He says we get to be with the Lord forever. Heaven is a place, but it wouldn't be a place to desire if it wasn't about the person. Look at John 14, 3. I think verse 1 goes like, uh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But here's the kicker. That where I am, there you may be also. Because it's, it is a place, but that place can be remodeled. It could be redone. God says he rolls up the universe. As I trip out on the J James Webb telescope, and they're like, oh, man. It, I love how they throw out numbers like, well, 100 or 200 billion. <laughs> what? You know how long it would take you to count to 1 billion? And they're just like, well, in our galaxy, with the stars, give or take, 100 billion. <laughs> it's like you don't know anything, man. So... What I'm saying is the God that created everything, that spoke it all, he rolls it up, no offense to you Iranians, but like a Persian rug. 
He rolls the universe up, all the quantum, all the dark matter, the black holes and the, the gravity anomalies and the things you can't see and the string theory. He rolls it all up. Which, by the way, when the Bible talks about three levels of heaven, the first level is where Boeing, Boeing flies and their airplanes and the birds. The second level is where Elon Musk... I've been also watching these Mars things. Okay, I'm going to stop. Sorry. Losing people, my daughter specifically. I'm just real sketchy on this Mars, this Mars and 4K. And her cousin, my wife's cousin, actually built the arm um, that's on that thing right now. Anyways, um, that's the, the God lives in the space beyond all that. Amen, Chloe. Not the last one, but the second to last one. Look at this. Christ in eternal life. Like I said in the opening, Christ, eternal life is not a somewhere we resort, but a someone we receive. Eternal life is not what we get. Eternal life is who we get. It's the person. It's Jesus. Just like we don't, we're not saved by the plan of salvation, we're saved by the person of salvation because it's this person in their personal offer to offer you eternal life, but this eternal life is not the golden ticket to go somewhere. The, the, the offer is to receive the person who is eternal life. You're not convinced. I can see that. Okay, go to this verse. 1 John 5.11. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. God's gone on record, and he says, eternal life is in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If Jesus is in you, eternal life is in you. If Jesus is not in you, eternal life is not in you. This is really just simple, straightforward talk from God. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. Again, it's not something you achieve. It's someone you receive. You have him or you don't. Go to the next one. Same chapter, but a few verses after this in verse 20, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is the true God and eternal life, and we're in him, and he's in us. So eternal life, you could make it, you know, about a somewhere. That's fine, and, and that's cool to think about and all that. Like, what's beyond space? And uh, that, That's the second level of heaven, by the way. The third level is where God lives. Um, and, the, yeah, there's a somewhere, but what does he do when he rolls it all up? You're still left with the eternal one, because... Even time and space are not eternal. But God is. God remains. God remains. And so we are going to spend eternal life with the one who is eternal. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. That's who he is. That's what he gives. That's what he has to offer. And the last one I have for you here, and of course these are really abbreviated points. You could do whole Bible studies, and hopefully you will as you reapproach the scriptures and re-examine the scriptures from a, a Christocentric point of view, right? Where all these things were written about Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Last one I want to look at is Christ and wisdom. Christ and wisdom. I was thinking, it's not on the slides, but I was thinking, I think it's in James chapter 3 where he says, there's a couple of types of wisdom. There's the wisdom that first comes from God, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be received, and it's without partiality. Then there's the wisdom that comes from the world. It's devilish, he says, it's demonic. Read it in James. And he says it's earthly, it's sensual, it's, it has partiality. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of wisdom. Just where does it come from? Just as Jesus is the living word, and grace is personified, and it, grace is a person, the fruit of the Spirit is not a what we get, and it's not plural, it's a person, it's Jesus. And the armor of God are not pieces, but the person. And the person, 
uh, or the, you know, it's not about the place of heaven, it's the person of heaven and eternal life or everlasting life is not a something, it's a someone. Well, also with the wisdom and the power of God, wisdom is a someone. Now, many cultures worship the gods and goddesses of wisdom. Again, where are you outsourcing it from? It's either from God, who is wisdom, or it's of the earth, demonic in origin. And a lot of people, I would say, there's some brilliant people, by the way, that figure out how to fly spacecraft and to land things on Mars. There's a lot of clever people out there. There's a lot of wisdom. And, um, but the wisdom that... The wisdom that has the dunamis that, that, that changes everything is the wisdom that's only found in the one who is the source. For example, go to 1 Corinthians 1.24. Christ is the power of God, and that Greek word power is dunamis, where we get English dynamite. He's the weapon of mass destruction of God. He's the power. He's more than fusion. He's more than what CERN's trying to do. Right, with their God particle. He, he is the power of God. And he is the wisdom of God. He's the gnosis of God. He's the sophia of God. He is it. And look at what he says, because we're connected to him. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So now Jesus is filling in other areas. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification and he is our Redeemer. So that it's as it's written, because we receive the person of grace, and we receive the person of salvation, and we receive the one who is eternal life, anyone that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Because you're not wise on yourself, you're not righteous on yourself, you're not sanctified or justified, or you're not anything apart from Jesus, and nor am I. So if we glory, let us glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. But take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Proverbs chapter 8. On the topic of wisdom as a who, not a what, go to the book of wisdom, Proverbs. It's not going to be on the screen, just the reference. In Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 11, we're talking about a wisdom as a who, not a what. I want you to see how God describes his wisdom. And remember Solomon who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God says, almost like how genies rip this off from God, God, what do you want, Solomon? And Solomon said, I just, need, I just need wisdom to lead the people. And God said, because you didn't ask of riches and gold and all that, I'm not only going to give you wisdom and make you the wisest person ever, but I'm also going to give you that other stuff because you didn't ask for it, right? But look at what, what he's saying, he's imparting this wisdom that comes from God, not the earth, he says, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all, all the things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with the prudent and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign. By the way, we're kings and princes and princes. And rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, and all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of the righteous, and in the midst of the path of the justice, of justice, that I might cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I might fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from everlasting, from the beginning. Sounds like Jesus, because it is. Before there was not even an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains uh, abiding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Because remember, the Bible says that Jesus created all things, and by him all things consist. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Even John 1.10, you know, the, the deity chapter, the word was in the beginning, all that stuff, and it says, 
He was in the world, and the world was created by him, and the world knew him not. That was John 1.10. But he says, um, while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the, the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle upon the face of the deep, uh-oh, flat earthers, um, he was there. When he was established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to, to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his commandment, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in, in his inhabited world, and my delight with the sons of men. Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man or the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the wisdom of God, the power of God. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul, and all those who hate me love death. Wow. Jesus is wisdom. You don't want this wisdom? You could, you could have death if you want it. God will, God will allow you to choose. He won't dishonor your, your free agency and your free will. But what wisdom is trying to tell you is don't go down that way. Choose life. Choose Christ, who is our life. If you don't know him, I would encourage you to come to know him. Me or anyone that would uh, know how to share with you the person of salvation, Jesus, so that you could receive the one who is eternal life. But let me ask you this, Christian. Hopefully this maybe encouraged you Maybe it shifted something in your life to where you're like, yeah, I always thought Jesus was just my get-out-of-jail-free card, you know, and thanks, Jesus, for saving me. I got this. I'll just take it from here, and then I'll just get, you know, involved in Christianity. But you can't have Christianity without Christ. So hopefully I've whetted your appetite because this journey, if you shift it from making it a like a, a man-centric, a me-ology, and you turn it into a we-ology, us and God, God being the center, it could be such an adventure, a, such an such a awesome, joyful journey if we just make, because let's face it, we're kind of boring. We're kind of just boring. <laughs> you know, we're just sinners. And may, we all come from the same lump of clay. There's not... As a therapist, as a counselor, too, there's not really a lot of clever sins people do. It's like, really, that again? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not belittling that, but really, there's just no new sins under the sun. We're kind of boring. God's not boring. He's so exciting. And uh, we could just take this journey together to keep on unpacking the gift that keeps on giving, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the centrality of the scriptures, the centrality of creation, the centrality of life. You are our shield. You're the whole armor. You're the fruit. You're the sum total of the scriptures. You're the person of heaven that we get to spend all of eternity with. And even when you roll it all up, we get to be with you and do whatever you want to do next. You're the creator, so I'm looking forward to being in the creative department, I guess. Uh, or just being a bystander, I don't care either. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus, I pray that we just have a wonderful day, just acknowledging you, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.